Hi everyone. Oh, that was amazing. I'm not one to bang on about it or easily given to emotion. I'm probably not easily given enough to a hallelujah, but just to um, be among the sort of Christian chorus, just to have it sung over me and to bump into and try not to hug or shake hands with uh, fellow people of faith or the Christians. Yeah, it was really lovely. So um, that was awesome. And let me just say right at the start, um, thank you for your patience. Uh, Thank you for your, uh, yeah, thank you for your God-sent patience in, in bearing with us um, as we try and serve you and as we've tried to serve you through this last year. Um, yeah, thank you and bear with us a little bit longer as we try and head back to normal. Um, yeah, as Jude said, today we're starting a new series and I want to talk to you about your playlist. Um, yes, uh, that's you. Um, and I, just now I want you to even think about um, a couple of the names for your playlists. Uh, yeah, just let them rack through your brains. If, if, you're, if you're of a certain vintage and you're scratching your head at home and you're thinking, what is a playlist? I've not named my playlist. Think, so if you're pre-90s, pre think mixtapes, things like that. If you're pre, yeah, if, you, if, you're even, if you're of an even finer vintage, think the kind of tunes that you go to when you want to tidy the house or when you need to have a cry, or something like that. I think playlists, and I've, fa- I've found this personally as a Spotify of shared playlists back to me, knowing, what, knowing the kind of things that I would like. I think playlists are incredibly insightful things, um, particularly insightful about human beings. Uh, you realize, um, yeah, as, as you look back through your playlists, or as Spotify, or whoever else, suggests playlists to you uh, that there are certain songs that you hold on to that have got a special meaning there are certain songs that you that have got you through that have kept you um, there, are, there are songs that have made you feel a certain way and you go back to them because they, they continue to make, make you feel this certain way there are songs that give you strength actually seem to make you physically enabled as a human being uh, there are songs that give us hope and we realize that when we listen to them that these songs have given us hope through the years. Uh, there are songs that we look back on and we realize that our identity is wrapped up in these songs that we hold on to from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and now, or wherever it is. That's what they say, isn't it? There are songs uh, that inspire us. Uh, there are songs uh, that keep us going. You know if you're at somebody else's house or in the car with somebody else, which is not that often at the moment in the, new, in the new normal. But you know if you're in somebody else's company and, and their playlist comes on and the tune is something like I'm Still Standing by Elton John or I Will Survive and you realise that this is part of their playlist, their identity, their purpose, what they're wrapped up in, you realise that this person's been through some stuff. Um, you realise as well that they've probably got a bit of resolve. They're not going to let the stuff that they've been through knock them down too much. And you realise probably that they're a bit sassy as well. And they don't mind a shuffle and a boogie. And, but, but you would realise all this just as one song comes on. So if you sit with them through their whole playlist, you get a fair idea of what this person's going to be like. The people of God. And when I say the people of God, I think you can look back to the earliest people of God. Far back as Abraham, the Hebrews, and the church as it's born. The people of God. I don't know if you know this. They've got a playlist 
there's a sense in which you could look at it and say that it's an eternal playlist. There's a sense in which it's kind of always been there, but it's written down quite literally in the book of Psalms, the songbook, 150 tunes um, to accompany you and get you through life. 15 of those songs uh, that we're going to look at, particularly over the next few weeks, are referred to as the Psalms of Ascent, the songs of ascent. Literally, we can sort of see them as the songs that the Hebrew people sang um, to get them up the hill to Jerusalem to worship God. Literally, these were the songs that they would sing. And Christians throughout the, throughout the years, throughout the generations, have clung on to these songs. Um, p- people that have gone off to study theology, uh, monks and the like, who've devoted themselves, they have learned the uh, Psalms, so they've become... Um, they could sing them verbatim. They'd know them the same way that I might look back at a 90s Oasis track or you might look back at whatever. They've been words that have just been really, really near to them, really, really helpful to them. And as the Psalms of Ascent was, was sung, I just want to give you a bit of a flavour as, as to what, what that was like. For some people, uh, this would be a pretty regular event. I think they'd, the journey up to Jerusalem, they wouldn't live very far away from Jerusalem And, you know, heading up towards the temple, this would be quite a regular routine for some people. I don't imagine, I guess, I guess for a lot of years I've thought that all Hebrew people were good and they did this all the time. But I'm guessing, as Christianity is today, there would have been plenty of Hebrews who lived miles away from Jerusalem, who were a bit more distant from from the hub of, of their faith and maybe a bit more casual in how they approached it. They, you know, this might be more of a rare pilgrimage. You know, this, this idea of going up and singing this bunch of songs, these 15 songs. Um, for some, it would have been a local trip. For others, people, this would have been days of travel. Me and Jude did the, not to bang on about it, the Three Peaks of uh, Yorkshire the, the other day. It was 24 miles. It took us all day. We were wrecked. Um, so you imagine how many people are travelling into Jerusalem, even if it's just 10 or 15 miles, or if it's longer than that. This is a, this, this is this, for some people, this was a huge event. For some people, making this pilgrimage trip would have meant risking the business, looking at the business that they'd grown and thinking, well, I'm probably not going to be back for a few days. My mate down the street you know, might usurp me, might take all my money away. For some people, it was that, it was that sort of a deal. Sometimes, I imagine, it has the sense of an individual that's, that's on the dusty road just with these words going around their head. Other times, uh, particularly as I read through, the, um, you know, read through my Bible, you imagine it almost like, almost like the way to a, a sporting event, almost like the way to the footy, when as the people come together, a couple of people start off the singing. This, I think this is how it works. And you sort of start off by hearing the small murmur and then the song uh, builds. These, these psalms would have would have been practiced you know, anywhere between those two types of things, I would think. They're sung to remind people of their identity, sung to remind them of their purposes, sung to make sure that they got to Jerusalem. That's, that's the kind of thinking behind it. Um, you wouldn't want to get... All, the, the, the kind of songs that you sing, and I, I'm aware sometimes as I've watched... Um, I'm a Leeds United fan. As you watch Leeds United and you realise you've gone out on a horrible... Um, rainy day um, and you think why on earth have I bothered to come here and then one of the anthems starts up 
in the background. This slow murmur builds around Ellen Road and this song builds and you go, oh yeah, it's because I love them. It's because I've been brought up with them. It's because I liked all their heroes growing up. And I think sometimes the Psalms of Ascent would have been a little bit like that. Just this song that is able to remind you, really get you to zone in on your purpose, on your identity, and make sure that you get um, to your final destination. It reminds us as well, these Psalms of Ascent, I think. And, and I often, and I think maybe we often, think of them sung chorally, sung by loads of people. Often how we experience life and how we experience things. But it reminds us, I think, that whilst, in, whilst our faith, whilst our Christian life is this spiritual ascent, so if you read through the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 to Psalm 135, we'll realize that by the time we get towards the end, we're in glory, we're in heaven. And that's the reality for the Christian. It's this ascent. As we are more dependent on God, as we give ourselves over through faith, he makes us holy. And that trajectory will look different for, for lots of us. But ultimately, we can be assured that by the time we get to heaven, by the time we get to glory, we're made perfect. And that's our trajectory. But whilst that's the truth, whilst we're heading towards glory, the reality is, and we see that in the words of the Psalms, and particularly the Psalms of Ascent, that it's always a climb life, isn't it? It's a struggle, it's a journey, the overused Simon Cowell, I think, expression, life is a journey. And we often find, as the Hebrew people did, that we pick up elements of our faith. You know, we practice our faith through all sorts of traumas. So even though there's this incremental road that in a sense that we're on, this spiritual journey that we're on, that we're almost guaranteed to have as we have faith in Christ, at the same time, We'll lose our job down the line. We'll get ill down the line. Something will happen to our children down the line. We might lose our house down the line. We might have a wobble down the line. These things happen to us. So the Psalms of Ascent, I think, remind us just of that journey of life. I want us just to focus in on Psalm 120 for a second. I don't know if it's possible. Uh, you might have a Bible with you. You might have a phone with the Bible on it. Hopefully, um, you might be able to read along with me. Um, on the screen, just to jot through this psalm and let me make a few points about it. Two points, really. I want to tell you a little bit about, this, about the song, and then I want to tell you why you've got to get this song in your playlist. And when I say get it in your playlist, why you've got to have it so you can turn to it the same way I turn to an Oasis song when I'm out driving in my car and I want to be a bit nostalgic. I want you to turn to that psalm, Psalm 120, when you're thinking about what life means. And we're thinking about what faith is. So verse one, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Think of this little part of the psalm as a G up. This little bit, verse one, is this is why you should sing this bit. He says, they say, the psalmist says, let me tell you about a time when I was totally lost. I was totally done over. I was totally out of it and God came to my rescue in a brilliant way. Let me tell you about that. And as I tell you about it, you know, the song will build. You'll want to sing this. Let me inspire you with this notion. That's verse one. And verse two, he says, Save me, Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. Um, the psalmist here is saying, Save me. I'm ruined. I've been ruined. And I've been ruined by lies. I'm slandered. Save me 
from this. And you can sort of have a bit of empathy with that, can't you? Particularly the culture that we live in. You, you realise how, how often it is that it happens and how hard it is and, and the shattering effect of lies in people's lives. Somebody um, just says a little mistruth about you, puts, a li- puts it out there, he puts it out there on social media or something, and it can be ruinous to be slandered, unfairly slandered. It's ruinous for people. Huge thing is a lie. Uh, verse 3 says, verse 3 and 4, What will he do to you, and what more besides you, dete- you deceitful tongue. This is like the repost of what God's going to do. What more, what will he do to you? And what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's... And you've got to, I've got to say here, we need to think, these are Psalms. This is poetry. He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals. What he's saying here is, it's not... Um, because you've lied to me, God's going to send down an angel, a rock-hard angel, and he's going to come after you and do you in. That's not the message. It's poetic. He's saying to you, in my experience, or such is my confidence with God, the people that have lied to me, I, I know because of my experience with God. I know, and I can sing about it, and I can shout about it. I know, ultimately, whether tomorrow or at some point down the line, but I know that God's going to deal with this person. I know that God's going to deal, rather. I know that God's going to deal, yeah. I know that God's going to deal with this person, but I know that God's going to deal with this untruth. I know that he's going to attack it brutally. Verse 5 to 7. This is the, the, the climax or the anticlimax, depending on how you, how you read it. War to me. And notice how many times he says I in this, quite personal Ending to the psalm. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when they speak, they are for war. So remembering again that it's, it's poetic, it's unlikely, it's not impossible, but it's unlikely that this psalmist, this writer, lived in, the, in these two destinations. They were miles apart. It's more likely um, that he's referencing really extreme parts of the known Hebrew world. The kind of, we might say Timbuktu. We might reference Timbuktu in that same sort of way, just somewhere miles away that feels like it's miles away um, from home, like the furthest known points. And he is aware, as he says this in a poetic sense, he is aware that in his experience of earth, of life on earth, that it feels to him like he may as well be in Timbuktu. It's a long way from the ways that he's used to. It's a long way from the ways of God. I don't know how far away from Jerusalem he was, but he says it feels like. And we can maybe have some empathy with this. If you're, if you're a person of faith, you can maybe really have some empathy with this. And sometimes it can feel an incredibly long way away, can't it? From the ways that we think are the right ways. Maybe you can, I think you could even feel this if you're not somebody of faith. You can think something's not quite right about this. This feels like a long way from how it should be. And he's... I guess you can see between the lines of this psalm, he's increasingly aware of this. He, they, are increasingly aware of this as, as they speak to people. He's saying, the more I speak to people, the more I, st- I feel what people are like, the further away from Jerusalem it feels. Maybe you can have some empathy with that. So let me just, yeah, let me just encourage you. 
the amount of eyes in that, in that last few verses just made me think. Um, yeah, of, often with the Psalms and often with Christianity, we we're, we're in a bunch, we're part of a body. And often in life, it's like that, isn't it? Often in life, most, most of our life experiences, we've got somebody near us, somebody who loves us. But what this psalm reminds us, I think, as we see the war in the author's, um, yeah, as we read the war of the author, we see that he's feeling this on his own. It reminded me that even though we're part of a body as Christians, you know, even though we've got family round about us, there's, there's plenty of moments in life when getting through it, living our faith through it, you'll have to do it on your own. You'll be ill on your own. After the visiting hours in the hospital, you'll be on your own. Um, the stresses and strains of the week, some of this stuff you just can't share with everybody, you'll carry that on your own. And it matters. I think we're reminded in the Psalms. It gets personal, doesn't it? We're reminded that, that it matters that our, our faith that we have on our own, there are times when that has to stand. And that has to count. And we have to be able to speak to God there, not just rely on the group that we're in. And we see that at the end of this psalm. Just three things about why we should have this psalm in our playlists. Why we should know it verbatim. Why we should turn to it. Why we should, why we should want to sing it. <clears throat> the first one is, we can trust these psalms. Do you see the trust that this author had in the psalm? This is a, this is a song of real confident expectation. This person sings with like great confidence. He's been slandered and lied to, but it's like a lovely, he's like, I know that God's going to deal with this so I can have confidence. <clears throat> but maybe you hear that and you're saying to me, are you, what you're telling me is, basically, if people have lied about me, or if I'm a bit down about the state of the world with the lies that float around, you're just saying, crack on, have confidence, because some guy, thousands of years ago, made his way to Jerusalem, had an idea for a song and said, yeah, this, I've got confidence. God's going to deal with this. Because that sounds a bit like a, a hunch. That doesn't sound strong enough uh, for me. May, I may as well have on my playlist um, Bob Marley singing Everything's Going to Be Alright and base my confidence on the fact that two little birdies uh, come out my doorstep and they're singing a nice song. And I'm kind of like, yeah, it's probably going to be alright. You, you've, what, what more have you got in this for me than that? Why should I hang on to this song? So I'm not telling you to hang on to this song because some Hebrew sung it thousands of years ago. I'm telling you to sing this song, to get it in your playlist because Jesus sang it. Because Jesus sang it and it's about Jesus and it was true for him then it becomes a game changer for us. There's an incredible, incredible moment in the Bible story. You know, read it in the Gospels, read it in the New Testament. It starts off with stories of a lie. Go back to Genesis, if you know your Bible at all. You know about the snake, the serpent. You know that there's a lie in this story. And the lie runs right the way through the story. But it reaches an incredible climactic point uh, when Jesus is around. And as, as Jesus goes around and as he teaches people... He tells them incredible truths. People are bowled over by his teaching and they're knocked back by the truths that he's telling to people. And what you see in the Passion Week, what you see in his last few visits to Jerusalem, 
is that people around about him can't handle this. And they need to push the lie. And what happens in the Passion Week, read, read through the Gospel, incredible, the lies just build and build and build. Jesus has come declaring truth. And it's been hard to argue with uh, on the back of the miracles and who he is. In fact, people haven't argued with it. But as he's come to a position of prominence, as it's, as it's coming to his time, shall we say, the lies about him build and build and build and build. And it comes to a point where you'd say, so yeah, this is what I'd say to you if you've not come to the Bible before. This is the lie. This lie, the lies about Jesus in this moment, um, have defined all of human history. This is the biggest lie. This is the, the height of the lies. And you can see Jesus as he walks around Jerusalem in the Passion Week. You can see him wear this lie and you can see him. And this is the, this is the beautiful thing and this is the game changer. And you can see how he deals with the lie and what his life means for the lie. Lies are told about him and Jesus doesn't open up his mouth. The lie that he's not the son of God, that we've got to kill this person, is told about him and acted upon. And on the cross, Jesus can say to the people that put him there and told the lie, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. These facts and the fact that Jesus was risen again and it was witnessed tell us that we can not only have hope in the fact that justice is coming, that it's definitely coming, that truth is coming, it comes with him, but that this truth is good. This is righteousness that comes. Um, so when we read and about the, the piercing arrows of, of, of that are going to get shot down and the burning bush, I think how Jude said it. We know that this is not just a my army is bigger than your army kind of story. That's not what it's saying in that psalm. This psalm is saying that truth is going to come out. It's going to, the arrows of righteousness are going to pierce into the lie that has been here. This, is, this world is going to be refined in an incredible way and truth will come out. Justice is not only certain, but it's good. There's a crushing uh, reality, I think, that we face, that I've faced over the years as I've, because I've, I've been one of these people who have, I'll be honest, I idolised certain musicians, loved certain songs, and there's this horrible moment as you get a bit older um, and you realise that the, your pop idols, you realise not only them, but the words that they've written, these songs that you've been hooked on, as you see them, um, flitter away into nothing you see the pictures of them now and you see you see where they are now and you realize that these huge dreams that they were selling when you were a bit younger that you know that I'd drive around in my car have the windows down sing along to and imbibe and go yes this is yeah I'm gonna live for that oasis lyrics I'm gonna live forever it's gonna be amazing you get to grow up with these people and you look into their eyes when they get to be older men and women and you think some of the some of the some of the power in their lyrics dissipate because of the reality of the person that's singing you them. You see the wrinkles come across their faces and you see their fortunes change and you see them change their habits and everything else. And some of the things that we're saying, we should live like this, they don't say that anymore. It's how it is with loads of songs, isn't it? 
but it's not how it is with the Psalms. Because Jesus sings them and because they're about him, they are increasingly credible. We don't go along with them and we don't see him at another time and think, oh, I don't know if these words ring true. The more that we dig around at who he is, the more that we see the way that he dealt with the lies told about him, the more that we can turn to this song and go, yes, this is true, this is for me, this is amazing. That's the first thing. We can trust these Psalms based on Jesus. Two more things, real quick. Second thing that it does, it reminds us that the truth is going to come out. The truth will come out. The truth is the main thing. I don't know exactly how it's going to go, but it's, it's likely that we'll look back on this eon of time, this age of time, and we'll describe it as post-truth. We live in a world post-truth, where the big narrative of truth, we, we don't like it. We don't trust it. Um, and we say things like, this is, this is my truth, tell me yours. We have this idea that it's all relative, and, and the world exists in this, in this weird space. We know as well, we know as well how hard it is to live with a lie hanging over your head. Whether that's, whether that's a lie somebody else tells about you, which is something I think probably everybody has to endure, or whether it's a lie that you end up telling yourself, I'm not good enough. I need to work more. I need to prove myself more, whatever else it is. And our world is caked full of these things. One of the things I think you learn about, about Satan, about the devil, if you're willing to have a look at the Bible, you think is this, um, this dude who goes around making bad stuff happen. And there's a sense in which that's not untrue. But what he is and what the Bible tells us over again that he is, he's, he's an accuser, he's a liar. He's telling lies. What's the devil doing? He's telling lies. We were talking about this in the cafe just the other day. Um, John described him as the father of lies. He says that lying is his native tongue. So what happens down the line? This is what I'm proposing to you if you're not a person of faith. We look at somebody from another country, another culture, and we just see him as an enemy, and there's almost no way back. Somebody that does something different to us, we see him as an enemy, not as a created child of God. We see somebody from another sex as an object, or a possession, not as a created child of God. We see ourselves as deserving of more credit, or being worthy of nothing. Jesus says, if you find me, you don't just have the way to truth. He says, if you find me, you get truth. If you find me, you see yourselves as you are. You'll see yourself exactly as you are in truth. If you find me, you'll see others how they are exactly in truth. If you find me, you will see the future as it is. The truth will come out. It's all that life is really about, and it's there in Jesus. The last thing that this psalm tells us, and I'll just, for the sake of time, because somewhere in the service we've gone on. Yeah, probably me. Probably, <laughs> probably I've gone on. The psalm reminds us right at the end that we're not yet home. 
I'm the worst person in the world for wanting to make my life about home. I love home. Home is an ideal for me. I love shutting the door of my little four walls and getting in there and finding peace. And when I find that even in my four walls, my little kingdom, when that comes up short, when that's not perfect, I am broken hearted. Underneath this psalm, the author's saying, I think this is what he's saying, what I've realized in this great earth that we live in, just at this moment in time, I'm not home. I'm aching for something else. These psalms don't let us forget that this is, we are pilgrims. We're passing through. Home is somewhere else. Keep focusing on it. Look towards it. Look for your saviour that comes from there. 